my sweet friends. I feel so fortunate that you're joining me for season two of the Failing Awesomely podcast. My hope is that you can find encouragement while listening to my personal stories of overcoming life's obstacles, whether you're chasing big dreams or just trying to make it through the day as a mama of little ones. I'm excited to bring my friends along to inspire you with their stories as well. Let's empower one another to stop selling ourselves short, stop the negative self-talk, and focus on what makes us awesome, because we all are. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and it's time we start believing that. Sweet friends, welcome to the Failing Awesomely podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Happy Sober October. Happy Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And yes, I'm saying happy because this year I am not undergoing treatment. Last year at this time, I was still about halfway through radiation, and I'm so thankful to be here and to bring awareness to breast cancer, breast cancer research, and just be a part of educating and inspiring people and encouraging you to get yourselves checked, get your health right, and uh, take care of yourself. This year, I am so grateful that I decided to become a part of Pennsylvania's 35-mile breast cancer challenge, and it's run by the American Cancer Society. So in the show notes, you're going to see that I will have a donation link if you would so choose to donate to the cause. It's for breast cancer research. I have ran... Oh, how much? I think just eight and a half miles. Today is October the 5th. So, this podcast episode will come out tomorrow, October the 6th. And um, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, I will have uh, ran a couple, a couple more miles, maybe be at 10 and a half or 11. So, I am my goal is 35 because that is the challenge 35 miles in one month. And I'm, I'm so excited to do that. If you can donate, thank you so much. If not, but you could share, that would be great. Follow along on my Instagram. Everything is linked in the show notes. You can see me run, see who I'm running for in honor of or in memory of. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be such a good month talking about breast cancer awareness and sobriety. Sober October is huge in the sobriety community and I'm looking forward to sharing some more things with you coming up that I'm going to be a part of. But today I asked my new Instagram friend, Erica Anderson, if she would come on the show to talk about a topic that she had actually just recently discussed on her IG about alcohol and the church. Is it sinful to drink alcohol with our church friends, our small groups, or at a church function of some kind? Find out what we have to say about that and more in this week's discussion. Erica is a wife and a mama of two kiddos, ages five and three, same as my sweet Andrew and Emmett. She is the author of the book Leaving Cloud Nine and has also been published in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. She also hosts the Worth Your Time podcast, and you can find her over on IG loving on and encouraging people in their walk of faith, their motherhood, and sobriety. Please, please, please give a warm welcome to Erica. Say what you want, all I hear is la dee da 
thank you everybody for listening to the show. Erica Anderson, welcome to the Failing Awesomely podcast. I am so fortunate that you said yes to being on my show. Erica is a Christian writer and speaker and a podcaster, and she is also a wife and a mama to two young kids. Both, uh, we, we have kids the same age as we talked about before we started, um, ages five and three, and we only know each other through Instagram. We kind of met each other through the amazing sober community that Instagram has developed. And we developed an even deeper connection through our faith in the Lord. And that I've just been so thankful for, because I think, I think Erica, you were the one that said it to me that there's so many people in the sober community and you can find, um, so much comfort and inspiration through them, but there's not a lot of, there's not, there's not a whole bunch of Christians in the sober community, at least that are come forth and outright talk about it because talking about Christians and alcohol and combining that topic isn't very popular. People, people don't really want to talk about it. And that is the main topic for today's show. But before we go into that, Erica, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your book, Leaving Cloud Nine, about your podcast, which is called Worth Your Time and a little bit of your sobriety journey as well. Sure. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. I think I was literally on Instagram specifically looking for people like me, which was like, I might've searched like the hashtag sober Christian hashtag because I, I have found in the sober community that like, there's so many great people, but a lot of the conversations are very sort of spiritual, but not specifically Christian. And for me, I, I need to have some of that community that is, is explicitly Christian since that is such a massive part of my life. That's the foundation of my life. So when I found you, you are one of the few people that I was like, oh, this girl is, you know, sort of in my age range and she has little kids and she's a Christian and she's sober. I was like, okay, immediately like follow. She's going to be like one of my number ones. Um, so that was so great. And, um, but to, to go to who I am. Yeah. Um, I live in Indiana and uh, my kids are three and five and I have been lucky enough to use my um, skills and my gift of writing in the past several years um, to, I published a book in 2018, uh, which was a dream come true. Never thought that the dream that I had as a, you know, a third grader, that I was going to be an author someday that I actually see a book with my name on it in a bookstore. So that was amazing. And that book is just to briefly, um, explain it. Um, it's actually the, the story and memoir of my husband's life that we sort of wrote together. I wrote it, you know, he told the stories and then sort of in the middle of it, it goes into our story together, um, and sort of ends with the birth of our son. And so it, it's kind of a full circle story of the trauma and sort of abuse that he went to, and then how, um, God really saved him and, um, transformed his life in an amazing and miraculous way. Um, so I just feel fortunate that like I met him and, you know, he allowed me to tell his story, Um, So that was just an incredible experience. And we've heard from so many people who, you know, reach out and say um, they saw themselves in the pages. They are so thankful that we were, that we told this story. And of course it's like, I'm always like, you know, thank my husband because he's the one that put himself out there and was vulnerable enough to, you know, believe that God was going to work through his story. 
Um, so anyway, so that's leaving cloud nine. Um, and then I am working on another book that'll come out next year, which is totally different. <laughs> and this one is for women specifically, and is more along the lines of my story. Um, and it is related to, um, kind of refining your faith. Um, if you have felt like you were drifting from your faith, like how do we sort of revitalize that in our lives and, and get back to that biblical community that is so, so important as Christians. Um, and then, yeah, so I have my podcast worth your time, which is part of the Christianity today podcasting network, which is super cool. Um, and I talk to all kinds of women, like ministry leaders, authors, speakers, all the things. Um, and usually it is, you know, pretty much Christian based. Um, and, and I, and I love doing that. Cause I just, I have, I, I mean, I started a podcast cause there was just so many people I wanted to talk to. I was just like, I want to talk to these people, but I can't just be like, hi, will you talk to me for no reason? So I better just start a podcast and then, you know, then I don't look like a weirdo. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that. And then, um, you know, just writing in general, I've been, I've been doing a lot of freelancing in the past couple of years, um, sort of realizing like, Hey, if I really learn to put what I can into it, um, you know, I can do this. And I felt like God really called me to be writing in sort of mainstream publications about, um, cultural, political issues related to religion. And I have been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be published in places like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And I can only give credit to God for that because I still can't even believe it's happened. So um, that's a little bit about me and what I do. <laughs> so incredible. Erica, I just bought your book, actually. I, I didn't, I haven't received it yet, but I can't wait to get it. And that is so powerful. I didn't know it was about your husband's story first and foremost, leading into your story together and kind of how that shaped you guys. That is amazing. And I, I cannot wait to read that. I think it's going to be powerful for, for couples even. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm curious to know if anybody has done like a couple study with your book because well, you know, it's it sounds like it'd be so cool. Yeah. You know, one of the number one sort of types of people I've heard from on the book are people that are wives of men that struggle with uh, bipolar disorder or a mental illness, which, you know, part of his story is having bipolar disorder. And so it was really interesting to hear that that was sort of the biggest thing, at least the feedback that I got, because some, it's very difficult to sort of navigate being the partner of, of someone with bipolar. Um, and I had to, I went through that and I write about that in the book and people are searching for answers because when you're in that position, a lot of times you feel very alone. Like you can't go telling everyone your, you know, marital business. So it's like, you kind of feel like there's nobody to talk to at times. And so, yeah, I think for couples that experience that, you know, whichever person in the couple is dealing with that. Um, I think it would be something to consider reading and, and then to top it all off, I don't want to blame him totally. Like I've had my own, like, you know, depression and anxiety. So like put us together and that can just be a real struggle. Um, yes. as you're sort of just navigating marriage and like having your first babies and all of that stuff. Absolutely. But it's such a powerful testimony when you can both together lean into the Lord to get you through all of that, because it, it is so hard when you're, when you experience any kind of, any kind of mental illness or trauma or anything. I mean, so many things can bring us back to these, these earthly circumstances and not focus on 
the, uh, upward to heaven and to Jesus and what he did for us. And I just, I think it's so powerful that you laid that, that story out there for people and how much it has, I'm, I'm sure has already helped people and how much it will continue to help people because a book like that is timeless. A book like that will always be there to, to make people feel less alone. Like you said, I cannot imagine feeling, I mean, I, I know, and it's not, it's not necessarily bipolar disorder, but with other traumas that my husband and I have gone through as children into adulthood, those are things once you said, you can't talk about them. It's so true. Like you, you don't want to put your, your spouse's business out there to necessarily talk about unless it's in a situation like therapy or something. But I just love that you, you guys both together had the courage to write that. And I cannot wait to read it. That's incredible. Yeah. One last thing I will say is just that, you know, our, our marriage is, has only survived because we have made God a number one priority in our life. We're very different. We still kind of rub against each other a lot. Um, but we like, because we are Christians and because we make that an extremely important part of our marriage, like we're strong and we're going to make it. And so I just encourage people, um, you know, if you're a Christian and your marriage is struggling, like reprioritize what's going on there. And you might see, you might see some things change. Amen. Erica, tell us a little bit about your journey to sobriety. Are you 11 months sober or are you now a year? Not a year yet, almost 11 months, or I mean, oh, I am 11 months, almost a year, um, which is so crazy. I Congratulations. can't believe it. Thank you. Um, to sort of, I don't know, it's like, it's hard to sort of sum up, but um, I'll, I'll go back um, and try to, to keep it short. But, um, you know, I, I started drinking as, you know, as a teenager, just like everybody else uh, in high school, college, all of those things. But I always say the funny thing is that I tried to stop drinking at, like when I was in high school, I was already trying to stop drinking, which is hilarious. Um, you know, cause I wasn't like, you know, having some kind of major problem. I just felt bad about it. And I was like, this isn't right. I'm going to stop drinking for college. And it's like, yeah, right. You're going to stop <laughs> drinking for college. That's like not, that's a laughable idea. So I, you know, went to college and I always felt like I had sort of a unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Like I'd always drink too much or, you know, just like, I'd be the, my friends would make fun of me. Cause I would like drink too much too early. And like, I wouldn't even be able to go out, you know, it's like all of these ridiculous things that I did. Like I had no concept of like controlling it. Um, and, and so I continued just to drink sort of like a normal, like young person, um, you know, into my twenties. Uh, but I would always find that I was using it in sort of unhealthy ways, like to decrease anxiety, to, you know, uh, deal with, um, certain feelings or emotions, um, to kind of just numb myself. And I found myself doing that more and more as time went on. Um, and then I, I also found that I was a blackout person. So not everyone has blackouts, um, but some people do, and it's not necessarily just about, you know, how much you drink and you probably know this Lindsay. Um, but it, some people are just wired to have them and I didn't have them a lot, but I did have them a few times. And there's a couple situations where I literally don't know what happened to me. Like, I don't know how I got home. I don't know who I was with. 
Um, there are things that like, I don't even really want to think about because I don't actually know what happened in those moments. Um, and so for that to actually, for, to actually experience that is very scary. I mean, and that alone makes you go, uh, this is a problem. Like this is not safe. Um, this is not okay. And so for many years, I kept thinking I should stop drinking. I need to stop drinking. And of course, every time I got a hangover, I was like, this is the worst feeling of all time. Like, why do I do this to myself? Um, and I never thought that I could stop drinking. I was like, I'm young, like whatever, like that's ridiculous. It would be weird. People wonder what was wrong with me. Um, and yet the, the thought never went away. And there was some point in my early thirties when I had that thought and I felt God say to me, someday you'll quit drinking. And I was like, okay. Like, but I just, it, it felt literally felt impossible. Like I couldn't even go like a few days because I would do that whole thing where you go, well, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or mm -hmm. I've got to take a couple days off or like, I'm going to do a cleanse and <laughs> yeah. you know, do, you make all the rules like, okay, we'll only have, you know, two drinks or, you know, it's just like, you start playing all these mental games. And I got to this point where I was like, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night one time and I'm skipping over a lot. So feel free to ask some follow-up questions, but just to get to get me to the point where I am now, um, I woke up in the middle of the night about 3.00 AM and I had drank a bottle of wine by myself. I mean, this was a common thing, like just at my house, having wine, uh, you know, justifying it to myself as you hear every day online and on TV, whatever, like, oh, whatever, everybody drinks wine, like wine means like, it's just wine. Yes. Um, you're a mom, you need to de-stress, you deserve it. Um, you know, it was like every night that I would be like, oh, I don't want to make dinner. But like, if I get to have wine while I make dinner, then I don't hate it so bad. And my kids don't annoy me so much. And so I'm going to just do that. But anyway, I often drink too much. And so a full bottle by myself, obviously that's too much for one person. And so I just woke up, you know, dying of thirst with this horrible headache, feeling like crap. And I was like, what, what, what are you doing? Like you're, you're like, you know, however old 37 years old, like you need to get a hold on. Are you going to be doing this to the rest of your life? And I think that's really one of the key things that kind of got me to stop and think about it more seriously was like, are you going to be doing this, getting mad at yourself for having a hangover when you're 75 years old? Do you <laughs> really want to be doing this that long? Because it doesn't get, it never gets any easier and it never gets any better. And so that was the first time that I committed to, to quitting the, not the time that not this time around, but, um, but the first time around. And, um, I, I started, you know, getting into the sober community, reading Annie Grace and, um, this naked mind and finding all of those writers and speakers and people. And I was just fascinated. I was just like eating it up, like all the videos, all the podcasts, all the books, um, and just being like, you know, wow, I could do this. I could do this. And that's sort of what began the pathway to getting to where I am today, which is almost one year sober, um, which is amazing. And I'm honestly, I'm so much happier now. I feel so free. I, I feel like I've been given a gift. Um, and not to mention, I always said, you know, Satan doesn't have to do much um, to keep me distracted. All he has to do is hand me a drink and then he's done. Like, that's it. Like I will not grow when I'm drinking. 
it stops right here. I can't go any further. My connection to God is completely staticky. Um, cause I'm praying about the same thing over and over again. I can't grow. I'm not processing things. I'm not going through things. I'm numbing things out instead of dealing with them. And so, um, you know, since a year ago, uh, my relationship with God has improved by, by 10 times. Um, I can hear him now more, much more clearly. I'm able to like deal with other issues in my life besides just the drinking, which was of course a masking a lot of other things. And so it's been completely life-changing and I've become sort of an evangelist. Um, you know, I get a little self-conscious. I'm like, Oh, where can people going to get annoyed? I'm talking about (laughs) being sober, but I think there's a lot of people that are hiding in the shadows. And that's why I want to, as I've heard people say, be sober out loud because hundred percent. Yeah. Because if you don't talk about it, then people don't feel like anyone is like them. And that's how I felt. I didn't know anybody like me. I wasn't seeing that. And so I'm hoping to open the doors of freedom for other people and just be like, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to, um, if you mess up, you can start, you can quit, you can keep going. Um, but there's no shame. Like we all have our struggles and you know, it doesn't make you a bad mom. It doesn't make you bad Christian. It doesn't make you a bad anything. It's just a struggle and alcohol is an addictive substance. Yes. And Erica, you are helping people every time you speak about it and, and everything else that you speak about. You're just, you're such an encouraging, inspiring person to have in people's lives, uh, especially in this in this life that we live that's online. I mean, it's just so amazing to just have that right at your fingertips and you are such a blessing. And I'm so grateful that we found each other through that. Your story resonated so much with me. And I know that our topic today is not necessarily to get into mommy wine culture, but that was my first podcast episode where I came out to speak on the fact that I was sober. I had only been sober for probably three weeks when I recorded it, but I wanted people to understand mommy wine culture and how devastating it is for young moms. We have, I remember um, this past Christmas, right, right before I came, I became sober. We, we decorate our Christmas tree Thanksgiving. <laughs> or at least like Me Good too. Friday. I'm so into that. <laughs> so that is our our tradition. Love that that's yours too. And I had an ornament that was a mother duck with all of her ducklings, and her her bill was in a wine glass, and it said the most expensive thing about being a mother is all the wine you have to drink. And I remember feeling like that doesn't sit well this year. Something about that does not sit well. And as soon as I made the decision to become sober on December 10th of last year, I took that down and I threw it away. I was like, that is so dangerous. And we live in this culture, in this society where everything is celebrated with alcohol, whether it's something extremely beautiful and fulfilling and loving and happy, whether it's something that is traumatic and terrible, whether it's stress and anxiety, like you talked about it to numb out, there's an excuse for every single part of our lives to just numb out with alcohol or celebrate with alcohol, whatever it is, alcohol is involved and it can be so dangerous for a lot of people. There's not a, I don't know a whole lot of people 
that can, that have confidently said, I'm just like a glass or two of wine a week person. I do know some of those people who can moderate and do that. But I also know a lot of people who say, eh, I might drink a little too much or people that say I had to, I had to let it go. I don't drink or I don't drink a lot because when I do, I can't stop. So mm-hmm. therefore they're like three or four times a year, they let loose and go crazy. And then they're like, oh, I can't, I, I know that I can't, but it's so hard to give it up completely for so many of us. And that's why I, I know that if it wasn't for the online sober community, like you talked about, I, I don't think I would still be sober. I just know. And that's, you know, I didn't have that the first time I tried the, so I got six months. The first time I really gave it a go, I had no online community. I did attend a in-person AA meeting twice, uh, right before COVID started. Um, and that was my first time going in person. I was so scared to go. I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm so intimidated. I don't want anyone to like, I don't know. Cause you have to walk into a church and be like, where's the meeting? I don't want to have to ask anybody. Um, and so I did that, but then COVID hit. So there was like no AA meetings anyway. And so that's when I found the luckiest club, which is Laura McCowan's group. Um, if I do know, are you familiar? No. Oh my gosh, Lindsay. I can't believe you don't know about this. I love it. Um, so anyways, it's called the luckiest club. Laura McCowan, she wrote the book. We are the luckiest. And she sort of made her name, you know, in, in the sober space in the past five, six years, she used to have a podcast anyway. So I found this and I was like, they were basically like online AA meetings and it was, you know, pretty cheap monthly fee. And they had all these meetings and I was like, well, I'll just check it out. Well, they sort of became a lifeline. I mean, I do struggle sometimes because the precisely because of what we talked about earlier, that it's can be kind of spiritual hippie dippy stuff a lot. And, and that doesn't not resonate with me. Well, but for the most part, it's like, I get on these meetings and I see 200 people that are all trying not to drink today. And everyone has a story and everyone comes and, you know, they have an hour and people share. So you hear from, you know, 15 people in an hour and you walk away and like, you never feel alone. You're like, I'm not doing this alone. Like I, you know, there's so many people that are choosing not to drink today. Um, and there's so many reasons not to drink today. And it sort of just strengthens your resolve every day. But I was going to say, like you said earlier, um, I, I, I made this observation earlier this year. <laughs> Why are we uh, like numbing out and like, like fuzzing out, like literally the very best times of our lives, like yeah. weddings and all of these things, like we're drinking a lot at these situations. And so our memories of them aren't very clear a lot of times because we're drinking and it's like don't we want to remember these things for the rest of our lives? It just doesn't make sense. And I know one of the big things, this was for me. And I hear this all the time in the meetings, people are like, well, I can't, I can't go to my friend's wedding and not drink, or I can't go to new year's Eve and not drink. I can't go on vacation and not drink. And that's what always used to stop me too. Well, I'll, I'll do it after I'll do it after that. I'll do it after that. And it's like, well, there's always something else. There's always something else. There's the concert, there's the vacation, there's all the things. Um, and you finally just have to one day be like, you have, you have to start somewhere. You have yes. to start somewhere. There's um, never going to be a perfect day or time. No. And sober. now that I've gone through this year, having gone on vacation, um, gone to concerts, gone to parties, gatherings, all the things without drinking, I, 
I would say like, maybe there's been a moment or two where I kind of wanted to. Um, but since most of them came after I'd been sober for a few months, I wasn't like going to those things in the first like 60 days, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, when I came home, I said, thank God I didn't drink. Thank God I didn't drink because I always play the tape forward. That's the other thing I learned. You yes. play the tape forward. You think about what tomorrow's going to look like. I sometimes think about like, oh, well in Australia, it's actually already tomorrow. So like, just <laughs> like. <laughs> pretend like, you know, that you've already done this. It's already over for, for the people in Australia. So, so just yes. get there, you know, whatever you have to do to sort of, uh, trick your mind. And it does take, I mean, it takes a lot in the first few days. Like, I mean, those first 30 days are like, you know, you're hanging on like this, like, oh my Absolutely. God. It is and, a struggle. I, it is a fight. Yeah. It's a fight. That's so worth it. And I think, that's, you know, I, I really do feel for so many people who are just making this obedient decision every single day. For me, I got hit with a ton of bricks in my health. Yeah. And that is honestly enough for me to not drink every day because I don't want to increase my risk of a recurrence of cancer. So for something that huge, that is that is a humongous reason to wake up every day and not drink. And it has honestly made it such an easier decision for me. People mm-hmm. have asked me, you know, have you done a program? Have you gone to AA ever? Have you done? I'm like, no. If it weren't for the sober community, if it wasn't if all of that inspiration wasn't in my face and if daily prayer and, and Bible reading and devotion and doing devotionals wasn't a part of my, my daily routine, I know I would have already gone back to drinking, even though I've had cancer, but that is a humongous reason for me to stay clear-minded is not only am I clear-minded, but I know I am doing absolutely everything that I need to do to to never have cancer again. Yeah. And if I know I'm doing that, and if for some reason it would happen anyway, there would be no guilty conscience. There would be, it it just would have been what, what was to be here on this earth. We live on this earth. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through trials and tribulations. We already know that, but it is the, you know, the work is finished on the cross and I know where I'm going someday. And I can rest in that. But if I was still making unhealthy choices, I wouldn't be at rest. There's no way. So my rest relies on making the decisions to not drink and to stay active and to eat right, which, you know, some days I still don't, I'll still have, you know, the meal here and there because I'm like, come on, I got, I gave up wine. Like (laughs) I got to have something. I got to have an Oreo cookie some days, but, um, but for the most part, I know that I'm doing what my body needs to stay clean and clear. And, and that's just, I cannot be even begin to describe how freeing that is. It, 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 it's literally a spiritual freedom that Mm -hmm. until you experience it, you just don't understand how good it is. It is a high that is so much better than any drop of wine has ever given me. And I want to scream it from the rooftops to people. Yeah. I mean, there's been, I mean, I can't tell you how many mornings I've woken up being like, oh my gosh, like normally I know what decision I would have made in the past. And this morning I'm waking up feeling great, feeling free. 
um, feeling amazing. And I think to just touch on what you were saying about having, having a greater reason, um, in terms of the cancer, I, I think that's, that's really helpful for a lot of people, because if you're just going to say, I'm going to quit drinking because I need to, but you're not kind of getting into it deeper. I think having some of those health reasons was, was really helpful to me as well. Like when I read Annie Grace, this naked mind, she talks all about the way that, um, alcohol, like people don't realize that alcohol actually is a big factor in causing cancer. Like there's a lot of, um, cancers that, you know, relate back to that. And they, and you probably know, but the American cancer society last year came out to say, they no longer recommend, like they recommend zero alcohol, Mm -hmm. zero, because their latest studies have shown that it is correlated. Um, and so it's as much as we have done in this world to warn people about the dangers of cigarettes. I mean, people don't even smoke anymore. I hardly ever see them. You know what I mean? Um, but I saw the other day, it's like, do you ever see that kind of a warning label on a bottle of alcohol? No, you don't. Um, and I think maybe in the future we will see that, but, but we're sort of in the beginning of educating the public about it. Um, people seem to be in, in denial. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. Like, for example, I had put you may have seen me put something up about this, but they, I, what was it? It was a women's magazine, maybe glamor, one of those, they put up some statistics about women drinking and how women with small children had biggest uptick, um, in the pandemic. And instead of people going like, Oh, that's awful. Like there's a problem. It was a long line of women going, Oh, you're just like discriminating against women. What about mm-hmm. men? Well, what was I supposed to do during the pandemic? Like people being so defensive about the use of alcohol that you're like, uh, that's, I mean, it's clear that like, there's a problem here. And it, and it wasn't even, it, it wasn't, it, it was science. It was scientific statistics. It wasn't even opinion, which, but yeah, I mean, so many people do get defensive because they just feel like, oh, I need that. That is, that is how I cope. That is how I get through the day. That is how I know that I can unwind and relax. And there's just, there's so much more. It's it, I think alcohol is a quick, easy fix. And, and it's so true after I think, and I, I could be wrong with, with my statistics, but I think one glass of wine is shown to have a calming effect not that it's healthy, but it's shown to have a little bit of a calming effect. Once you surpass one, it can increase your anxiety and depression so much more. And not only that, but it messes with any medication you might be taking. It just completely destroys your body. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you are a person that has zero issue with this, you're not going to even be interested in this conversation. No. Like, not going to care. Like, you're just gonna be like, whatever, like it's, you know, but it's like, if this gets your wheels turning and you're wondering and you're questioning and like, for me, I'm like Googling, like what's an alcoholic and like reduce, uh, like alcohol moderation, like, you know, that all those things, like if you're Googling stuff like that, like it's worth thinking about. And so many people in these online groups, like you'll see, um, like one of the big groups I'm in, like people be like, has anyone here ever successfully moderated? And people are always like, good luck with that. Luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not like it's impossible. Like there are people that can do it and I've certainly tried it, but it creeps back up. Um, it just becomes too easy. It, like mm-hmm. I said, it's 
it is an addictive substance. It's not your fault. It makes sense that your body craves it and wants it. And and what you find is that if you are drinking it regularly and you don't give it to your body, so your body's been relying on that to relieve stress. And when it doesn't get it, it actually starts to think that like, you're like going to die or something. Like I heard this, I heard it put this way. Like your body starts freaking out. Cause it's like, Oh, I need that to de-stress. You don't have it. It starts going into panic mode. So your anxiety hits the roof and then you think you do need it. So you go get it to calm the anxiety. And then it's like the cycle. So, um, it is something that you can't see too clearly when you're in the middle of it. But somebody told me in the beginning, um, I remember reading this somewhere that someone said, you know, I, you know, 30 days is great, but I think you need to do 90 days sober. If you really, really, really want to get a better look at what was going on because 30 days, you can sort of hang on, you know, just yeah. Like you said, nobody can visual visualize this, but we're both acting like we're hanging on to a bar. Like the first 30 days, you're just barely hanging on. Like you can't do a pull-up. Like, you know, you're barely hanging onto the bar. You're struggling. You're just, maybe you got a a couple fingers on it, like claws. But then as you progress, it really is a good 90 days before you start to feel pride in yourself. Like you start to feel like, oh my gosh, I, I did this. Think about how you feel and, and you, and you start to really evaluate the changes that have naturally happened in your life. Changes that by making one decision to not drink have naturally happened that you haven't even had to, to try to make happen. And it, it is incredible. I I so agree with that. 90 days is a really good, um, period of time to Eve, to stay sober and evaluate what alcohol has done in your life in the past before, before starting this sobriety journey, whether at the moment you think it's just going to be temporary and I'm going to moderate, or if it's something that you want to see for the rest of your life for the long haul. But I think I always say this when I, when I'm introducing these podcast episodes where we're talking about alcohol, sobriety, what, what have you, I always say, this is for anybody who is even thinking about evaluating their drinking. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if, if you're curious. Googling, yes, if you're sober curious, if you're Googling anything related to moderation, taking a break, cleansing, anything, these are the episodes for you to listen to because it just gives you a really intimate perspective from people who have gone through it. And maybe you can relate to, to Erica's story. Maybe you can relate to my story I shared earlier in this year. Um, but yeah, but thank you so much for, for talking about that. You recently went live on Instagram to talk about alcohol in the church or specifically like Christians and drinking. And it's kind of a little bit of a taboo topic. Not too many people want to talk about it. It's kind of like a hush hush thing, or it's just something that maybe we do, but we just don't talk about. You don't talk about it the next day. If you drink with some church friends or fellowship with some wine or something, it's just kind of something that's just it is what it is. You don't talk about it, whatever. And I have experienced that a little bit. And I loved your story when you talked about um, your small group going out for drinks. And then it was kind of like, it, what, should, should we have done that? But nobody talked about it. It was just no. crazy. And you, you shared with us, um, a verse that I love. If you could share, do you remember that verse that you, Oh gosh. Oh, everything is, <clears throat> permissible, but not everything is good. 
something yes. like that. Every, yeah. Yes. First Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Right. Right. Which is such a crucial, such a crucial thing as a Christian, when you're, when you are, if you're somebody sober curious or evaluating your own drinking and you are a person of faith, if you are a Christian, that is such, I love that you shared that verse. It's such a good verse to evaluate your drinking. The, the Kim, this, this is a little bit of the diving I did that I told you about before we started recording the, um, the King James version says all things are lawful for me but all things are not expedient and expedient comes from the Greek word. I don't, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciations, but zoom zoom for I think is how you pronounce it. And it means to bear together. So not everything is supposed to, to bear together. We're not necessarily supposed to, if, if it is, if it is affecting our walk with Christ, then it is not something that we should bring into our lives that we should put together. And it's not something that we should bear together as Christians. If it is not producing good fruit, if it is not benefiting our lives. And I I just loved that, that word bear together. And then it goes on to say, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And edify is the Greek word, golly. Okadomeo, okadomeo, I'm pretty sure is how you say it. Okadomeo, I want to say that a few times. To, and that literally means to be a house builder or to construct, to build up. So if it is not something that builds you up and it builds up your brothers and sisters in Christ, which you tapped into, which I loved in your live, if it's not something that builds up, then it is not for you. It is not something that that enriches your life and the lives of people around you. And what I really loved about your talk, and I'll, I'll let you kind of go into this, is one of the main things that really caught my attention was that drinking is not necessarily bad. You know, if if you are somebody who who enjoys the occasional drink, it's not, nobody in the sober community is condemning you or judging you or trying to make you feel like that is, that is wrong. That's such a wrong choice. But if you think about it in this perspective of maybe it's not a problem for you, but is it a problem for your brothers and sisters in Christ around you? Because you specifically talked about maybe there being alcohol at a church event or a small group going out for drinks. And if you want to elaborate on that, I'll give you a free reign too. Yeah. I mean, I think for so long, I sort of hung on the, uh, the thought that it wasn't sinful to drink. You know, I was like, well, it's not like wrong. Like Christians drink all the time. Like it's fine. So I don't have to quit. Like I, you know, I, I was harping on that, but I knew all along that, that I knew that verse was there. I knew it in the back of my head and I chose not to think about it. And so I guess I was thinking like when I originally started getting sober and I thought of situations like the one with my small group, 
I just thought, man, you never know when someone is struggling with sobriety, you don't know. And especially if someone is in a church environment, maybe a newer person, like maybe they're trying to get their life together. And if you're serving alcohol at some kind of ministry related event, that could be a huge barrier for them. Mm-hmm. And again, like it's a, it's a line. I think it's an, I think it's sort of like evaluate the situation one by one, like as an individual, like if you don't think you have a problem, you simply just enjoy a drink. I think that's fine. But like, I do think that you should consider who you're with, what's going on. What is the situation? Like think about the greater, um, perspective of the situation. Um, I think that, um, when it comes to the church and alcohol and Christians, I'm still trying to kind of figure out what I want to say, um, in in that space. But for me, I felt ashamed to come out and admit that I felt that I had a problem with it because I felt it would make me look like a huge hypocrite. Like I was like, Oh, I I'm this person that people think of as, you know, sort of a leader. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the church friend. Like I'm the person that gets asked to pray at Thanksgiving. Like, you know, I, I wrote a book like published by a Christian publisher about my husband's life transformation. Like, isn't this going to look really bad that I'm saying I have this drinking problem. And then not to mention, like, I just thought like, Oh, people think alcoholic and they just think like all these horrible things in their head, which again, that's one of the reasons like why I'm being so loud about it is because I'm like, that is like, get rid of that stereotype. Yes. Like that is not what it is. I mean, it can be, but it's not usually. And so I want to make it, I, I think in some Christian spaces, like it almost became the opposite. It almost became like, Oh, well, we don't want to be legalistic. So you know, it was like the opposite of legal, like everything is allowed, not everything, but you know, know it's almost like if you say you don't drink because of, you know, your faith, like you're just like a really uptight, like whatever person. And, And I, and so in my experience in church, like I've never like known people to be like, oh, I don't drink because like I'm a Christian. I I, like don't know anybody (laughs) that says that. Mm -hmm. So it's become very, very fluid, I guess. And I I remember another time that I was out with some people, I was going on a mission trip with some people and we had gone to meet to talk about some stuff at, at a restaurant and like everyone ordered drinks. Like the, one of the guys leading the trip, like ordered whiskey on the rocks. And I was like, okay. Like, (laughs) I mean, I, but for, but then I felt like, then I think I like ordered some really strong drink too. I was like, well, if he's having whiskey, you know, and then it's like, there I was like getting tipsy talking about my mission trip. Like it just, you know, there's, there's something wrong there. There's something not right with that. Um, and so I want to make a space where it's like, it's not about legalism. It's, it's about, you know, Christians just being able to talk about their struggles openly without it being this stigmatized thing. Like, it's not about like a sin or not a sin. It's about like, how are you using, how are you using something in an unhealthy way in your life? And that could be alcohol and it could be something else. Like, you know, I've talked a lot about how I used to have an eating disorder. So for me, it used to be that now it's been this. And I just want to like make it okay to be a non-drinking Christian again, which sounds so crazy, but it's just like, not cool. Well, you know, you know, so I just want to, I would just want to turn it into this thing where like, we can talk about this, like sobriety is not 
weird. (laughs) No, I think as a church, we have tried so, so hard in recent history to be inclusive. Yes. And I think with inclusivity, you can blur the sin line. Mm -hmm. And when you, because it's not that alcohol is a problem. It's what does alcohol, how does alcohol affect your life in a sinful way that is the sin? So it's Mm -hmm. not as necessarily alcohol itself, but when you blur those lines in the church, people don't, sure, they might feel included. They they might feel like I have a a place here, but it's not helping them grow in their relationship with Christ. And that needs to be the core reason to come together and fellowship is you bring your mess, you bring your addictions. I think there's a, a worship song that says that bring your addictions, bring your this, your that, bring all of that in, bring your past trauma, bring your, your sexual sin, your, you know, whatever it may be. And we come together and we help lift each other up instead of making some things more acceptable. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, I don't think I ended up saying this in that video, but regardless, um, a pastor that I listened to said something recently and he, he was like, somehow alcohol came up in his sermon, like randomly. And he was like, you know, I, I'm not saying alcohol drinking is a sin, but the Bible talks a lot about it so much in destructive ways that I don't touch the stuff. So he said that was a message for somebody. And then he just moved on. But I thought to myself, yeah, like it's not, like how many times does the Bible mention drunkenness as a sin? Yes. yes. And how many times are you drinking to not feel anything? Exactly. Like, if you're drinking, you're probably drinking to get something, <laughs> you yeah. know, to get tipsy, to get drunk in some way. Um, and, and that, and that clouds your judgment Um, it makes you less able to, you know, see, to hear from God, to see clearly the people in front of you, to make good decisions, to be discerning in the things that you do. And you just never know what's going to come up, whether that is just you in your home conversing with your spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, you're probably going to be less loving to them or snappy. If an argument comes up, you could potentially make the decision to, I don't know if you're like, I need to go get something at the store drive. Like there's all these consequences. It's not just the drinking. It's the everything that comes with it. And so as a Christian, I think you just need to be willing to evaluate your relationship with alcohol and say, is there something that's coming out of this, that is bad fruit. Like you were saying, like, is there something that's rooted in this that is not glorifying to God? And if so, and then let's do something about it. And especially if you're like, it's too hard, if it feels too hard to get rid of, that's good. That tells you a whole lot about your heart and a whole lot about how you're relying on this. Um, it's for something other than God you're relying on. Because I, I mean, and I know that because I felt that so deeply that I could not let this go. And I started with the 30 days last September intending on only 30 days. Cause that's all that I could commit to. I couldn't think any further than the 30 days, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, 30 days by 30 days by 30 days here I am. And I didn't ever think I could do it. And now I've done it. And now I pray 
Um, I just prayed the other day. I was like, you know, I'm feeling great, God, but I, I need you. Like, I want to protect my sobriety. Like, I don't want to ever go back to that place that I was in where I felt so controlled by alcohol and and it was just stunting me as a, as a person in so many ways. And so God protect my sobriety. Like, you know, if I have a weak moment, like be there as a buffer, like, you know, it's a constant thing, which is just like our Christian life. Like we don't get to become a Christian and just like, well, we're good to go. Like walking on. It's like, it's like a consistent maintenance, like relationship with God. It's checking in, it's doing all the things that we need to do to make sure that we're growing in him, that we're hearing from him and that, um, you know, that we, we can keep those, that strength, because if you're not checking in with him, if you're not going to church, if you're not doing the things, the holistic things that you need to be doing for your faith, you're going to not have those two tools available to you when that hard moment comes. Yep. Like I always say, you need to be investing in your faith on a regular basis with these things so that when that moment comes, you have what it takes to dig yourself out of the hole. Um, and you're not sort of just left with nothing because you haven't been investing in it. Yes. I love that you brought that up because one thing that I feel that I have neglected to talk about on my show when it comes to sobriety is it's, it's not that I think I've glamorized sobriety. I've, I've definitely been very, very deep and, um, and open about my own struggles, but it there, you're still going to have moments. It's just like becoming a Christian. I think sometimes when you become a Christian, you just think rainbows and butterflies. I have the Holy spirit and that's not how it is. You have to keep that relationship strong, just like marriage rainbows and butterflies, baby, when it first starts and you realize, oh, this is work forever. Same well, with sobriety. Yeah, it like is work. Are there AA meetings? Yes, it is. It is continuous work. It's continuous prayer. It's continually diving into what you know feeds you to make that decision every day. Every day um, before I read my Bible, uh, my pastor he, he said this in a message last summer and I I wrote it all down and I, it just stuck with me. He says, before you, before you read the Bible, say, Holy spirit, show me and recite, um, Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24, and then say, Holy spirit, change me and recite second Corinthians three verse 17 and 18. And then Holy spirit, fill me and recite Ephesians 5 18, which says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill all those places where you want wine. If you're going to have hard days and you're still going to want alcohol, there are days it's, it's a lot less for me. I, I want to be transparent about that, but there are so many days where I'm like, I really want a bottle. You know, I really want to go to the store and grab something. I really, really do today. And you have to dig deep and say, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill that void, fill what I think I need, what the enemy is telling me. Like you said, the the enemy doesn't have to work hard for those of us who struggle with, with addiction. He doesn't have to work hard at all. He just has to put that little, little tiny thought in your head. Like, oh, you deserve it. You have, you've worked so hard. Today has been so rough. And, and it's, it's almost, not hard to get that because no. it's like every book. <laughs> exactly. And to, to fulfill that and have that drink. And then, like you said, the, and he, Satan can just go about his way. He's like, up, oh, wrecked her day. Cool. I, I'm, I'm good to go on to the next. 
And it's, it's so important. And I'm, I'm so glad you talked about that in, in knowing that it, it's going to continually be something that you have to work on. And I think that if, if more of us in the church would be open about that in church and with our fellow Christian brothers and sisters, it would just open up this huge door to, to be able to talk about it when, when we're at our lowest points, which I, which is, I think is, is the whole point because we can, I feel like as a Christian, I can talk about it since I've been successful. You know what I mean? Like I've been right now. I mean, I can talk about the mess that I was in the past because now I'm, I am a successful sober person at almost 10 months sober. This September 10th will be 10 months sober for me. So I can talk about that now, but if I were to relapse, if I were to cave in and have that wine, I don't know that I'd want to go to church and talk about that. But yeah. for fear of judgment or like, oh, Lindsay, like, did you really, you know, there needs to be an openness of, okay, that's okay. You're okay. You came in today and I'm here for you. I'm going to help lift you back up because just because you made a slip up doesn't mean that anything has to change. You know, that yeah. I, I was just going to say, I agree. I was very, until I hit about six months, I was not saying much about it um, because I was worried. I was worried that I was going to slip up and then I would be like looking stupid because <laughs> yep. that's kind of what I did the first time around. I actually spoke in front of my church. Like I didn't really put it on the social media at that time, but then I did end up drinking again after that. And I was just like, you know, nobody really knew, but I was disappointed in myself. And so this time around, I started to feel strong after six months, but now I'm to the point where I'm like, you know what? It's possible that I could slip up in the future. However, I'm not sorry that I'm being loud about this because I want to make it, I want it to be okay. If I mess up, I want it to be okay. you know, to have another day one. And yes. you see that all the time. Um, for example, in the, the luckiest club meetings that I go to, it's like the people that are there on day one in those meetings are like the most applauded people that are there because it takes courage to come back on day one. And 100%. so I feel like whether you're talking about drinking or some other struggle that you may have, um, I, I want church to be the number one place people go. Like, I want it to be like, I screwed up. I need to go to church because that's where people will love and accept me and, and, and take my, take this vulnerability, put their arms around me, support me. I don't want people running away from church. I want them running to church yes. um, because that is a place that will uphold you like that community. And, you know, I know that there are people that have had bad experiences with church and, and sin and all of these things. Um, but yeah, I'm on a mission to like, you know, change that stereotype. I know that I go to a church that would wrap their arms around you with any struggle that you came in with on Sunday morning. And I know that there are lots of churches out there like that. And so it's sort of, uh, you know, my mission to sort of get that message out there to say, um, you're imperfect. Like you were drunk yesterday. Like you, uh, you know, you did this thing, you did this other thing, like 
don't care, get in here, like, let us love you, let us support you. Um, And so I think, you know, in a, I think there are a lot of tools in the, in the sobriety toolbox. And one of them for me is going to the luckiest club, which is not a Christian thing, but my other tools include like my prayer and my Bible reading and going to church. And I do share openly about it. And I have had people come up to me after I shared at church that one time, I had several people come up to me. Like one person was like, had been in NA narcotics anonymous. Another person shared with me, like their long struggle with like infidelity, like problems that they had had throughout life, which was, they felt similar to an addiction. And, um, you know, the minute, like, I love the phrase and I know that this has been said by other people, but like, um, maybe Brene Brown, like the shame loses power when it's exposed to the light. And that's exactly how I felt. The first time I shared my drinking problem with my small group, I mean, I was so scared to admit it. And then once I did like this grip, this grip on me, on my heart, it started to loosen. And ever since then, that was about three years ago. I, I like have no shame. Like, I'm just like out there talking about it. Like I have no shame. And that's because I exposed it to the light and I like lifted it up to God and he has taken over <laughs> and amen, sister. I'm free, you know, I'm free from it. And it's, it's amazing. Oh, I love that. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show to share your heart in this and share your story, share so many uplifting little, I like to call them little nuggets that we can, that we can put in our pocket and take with us. And I, I, everything, um, is going to be in the show notes. I want to leave in there where we can find you. So tell us where we can find you on, on the interwebs or in social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can follow me on Instagram, Erica, I'll just spell it E R I C K A underscore A N D E R S E N. That's me on Instagram. And then through that, you can see my podcast page. Um, Erica Anderson.com is my website. And, um, pretty much anything, Erica Anderson, you'll find me all the places. Um, so I would love to hear from you. Like if anything resonated with you in this conversation, like I would love to get a DM from you or an email from you. Like I love talking to people. So please let me know if there's anything I can do. Yes. You are so open and loving and that, that it has touched my heart and it has helped me so much. So I know how many people that you, you have affected in such a positive way. So really take her up on that listeners to, to DM her and talk to her because she is amazing. Erica, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for taking a little time out of your day to spend it with me. I'm ending the show just a little differently than I normally do because there was something that I said during my discussion with Erica that I just wanted to clarify a little bit. When we were comparing our journey in recovery to our faith journey and our relationship with God, I mentioned that they both take work. And what I didn't do a good job of clarifying is that you don't need to work for your salvation. I just, I want to be clear about that. You cannot earn salvation. That is a free gift. It's a free gift to us that we simply need to accept and declare that Jesus is Lord and believe that he died on the cross for us, for our sins, and that he rose again. Boom, that's it. What I meant by the word work or phrase work at it, simply put, 
I just meant that in order for us to have a firm foundation in our relationship with God, we've got to invest our time with Him. We've got to read His Word and be in prayer daily, walking in this life with Him. And that is a daily choice we make to invest our time into that relationship. Just like Erica said in the episode, we need to be investing in our faith so when the hard moment comes, you have what it takes to dig yourself out of the hole and you're not left with nothing. So I hope that cleared it up. I never want someone to stumble upon this podcast and be confused by my words. So it was important for me to clear that up. Again, thank you so much for tuning in this week. Be well, be awesome.